Hi, it's Dom here, pastor at Assemble Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you find what you're looking for today and that you are challenged, inspired, and equipped to live out the life that God has for you. Enjoy the message today. So we are currently in a teaching series, are we not, uh, uh, talking about the names of God, the names uh, that we find in the Bible where God describes a a characteristic of himself uh, through uh, the use of a name. The use of a name, and so in this series already so far, we've looked at uh, we've looked at Jehovah uh, Rohi, which means I knew that I knew this wouldn't go well. This bit, I knew this bit wouldn't go well. Get your notebooks out and all those notes that you've made. <laughs> Uh, Jehovah Rohi, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, we looked at Jehovah Rapha, uh, the Lord is my healer. And, uh, and in the first week, we, uh, we began the series by looking at uh, what the name Jehovah actually means uh, itself. Jehovah uh, meaning um, Yahweh, that sort of being tran- uh, transliterated, if you like, over time through tr- um, uh, translations, uh, but we're talking about Yahweh, and Yahweh is Hebrew for, and means in Hebrew, he is, uh, because when God declares to Moses at the burning bush, I am. And so this is who we're talking about when we're talking about the Lord, we're talking about Yahweh, Jehovah, I am. And through the names of God, uh, we, can, uh, we can get an understanding of some of the characteristics. Does that make sense? Yes. Does that make sense? Sure. It's the same God, it's the same God, uh, but it's different characteristics. Uh, And so uh, it's similar to how some people who know me might describe me as Dom the Intelligent. And then other people who know me perhaps in a different way might describe me as Dom the Cool. (laughs) Same Dom, but different names depending on what's relevant at the time. Do you understand? You see what I'm saying? So this week, we are looking at the, uh, the next name of God, the next characteristic, and we are looking at uh, Jehovah Sidkenu. Jehovah Sidkenu. We've got it on the screen. There it is. Uh, don't let the tea fool you. It's a silent tea. It's a sneaky tea. Uh, it is Jehovah Sidkenu, and it means um, the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness, and uh, I'm going to read where we, uh, where we find this uh, in the Bible, where, uh, where God calls himself um, the Lord, our righteousness. Is that okay? Why don't you turn with me then to, uh, to uh, Jeremiah chapter 23 and verse 5. It says this, this is God speaking. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land, In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. Some translations uh, use uh, the Lord, our righteous savior. It depends on uh, your particular flavor of uh, Hebrew translation. I don't know how you prefer to do it uh, yourself. (laughs) It's a joke. It's a joke. Unless there are any Hebrew translators in the place, no? (laughs) <laughs> Brilliant stuff. So uh, we're looking at the Lord is our righteousness, uh, Jehovah Sikenu, uh, Yahweh, our righteousness or our righteous saviour. Uh, so we need, to, we need to look, don't we, and understand what righteousness is, yeah? Does that make sense? 
to understand. We, we, we know of, of God, we know of the Lord, uh, um, and so we need to look at what righteousness is. And, uh, and in order to understand righteousness, in order to understand righteousness, is best if we put it in context of its opposite, right? The opposite of righteousness. Who knows the opposite of righteousness? Wrongchiousness. Wrongchiousness. Another joke. Ah, oh, this guy this morning is full of it. Full of the jokes. <laughs> yeah, that's what it was, yeah. Uh, wrongchiousness. No, uh, that's a joke. Uh, we're talking about sin. We're talking about sin, right? What the Bible calls sin, uh, the opposite, uh, if you like, of righteousness. And, uh, and so we need to look at, well, what is sin? What is sin? Sin is uh, it's things we do, isn't it? Things we do that are against God is perhaps when we steal, uh, when we lie, when we cheat, when we uh, hurt, uh, uh, murder, uh, you know, all, all of these things. Uh, these are sin. Sins are the actions that we take that are against God's will, yeah? yeah. Is that what we're saying this morning? Maybe. This, uh, this, kind, of, uh, this kind of thinking, this kind of uh, doctrine, if you like, uh, is, quite, is quite popular. The idea that sin is just a list of actions. It's a list of stuff uh, that when we do them, we are displeasing God. We are displeasing God. And this kind of thought process is pretty popular and it's used by Christians uh, to, uh, to convict people on the street. I don't know if you've seen this much. Uh, this, is what, this, is, uh, this is what some folks do when they say, uh, when they come out with a, with a list of sins and they say, hey, have you ever stolen anything? Even just a pen from work, have you ever stolen anything? And the response is usually, well, yeah, I've, I've stolen things. Or, uh, or have you ever told a white lie? Uh, just any, any kind of lie, have you told a white lie? Even, uh, even if it's, uh, you know, when your wife asks you if, if she's put on any weight and you've said no, but really you're thinking, yes, that's still a white lie. Have you ever told a white lie? And all the men are like, yeah, I've told a white lie. <laughs> uh, well, uh, and, then, and then the response is, well then, son, you are a sinner and you need Jesus. And, uh, and this, this is what we find, uh, you know, sort of Christians, uh, some Christians do on the street. And it's almost really, uh, it's almost really a bit, a bit sort of trickery. I don't see this kind of outworking in the ministry of Jesus. Convince, they've done, convince them that they've done something bad and then tell them that the solution is Jesus. Pretty popular, isn't it? Pretty popular. We come out with our list of actions and, uh, and we say, if you've done any of these, you're a sinner. But the challenge is, is that it's 2022 and morality is relative. Morality is, is relative in our culture. What's right and what's wrong is relative. Gone are the days where society in general can agree what is right and what is, what is wrong. We as Christians have uh, the Bible uh, that we go to for, uh, for morality and our, our moral uh, compass. And so this is our solid rock of truth. But, uh, but have you ever tried convincing somebody that their choices, their actions, or their, their way of life uh, is sinful just because a book that they don't even read says so? doesn't work. doesn't work. It doesn't uh, work. And so this, this presents a challenge for us. If sin is all about actions and yet we live in a you do you and I'll do me kind of, uh, kind of culture, then it gets harder and harder to convince uh, people that they're sinners and that they need Jesus. But I think uh, that we need to look at what the Bible's definition of sin is, because we've created a problem. This is a problem of, of, of human making. And, uh, and we need to understand what sin actually is from a biblical perspective. Is that okay? okay. So we've, we've suggested that it's a list of actions. 
But I actually want to, want to uh, understand what the Bible says. What the Bible says. Is that okay? So the word, uh, the word for sin uh, in, uh, in the Bible, in Hebrew, it is the word hatat. Say hatat. Hatat. Yeah, and you have to do the thing because it's Hebrew. Uh, and you sound sort of really cool and like you know what you're talking about. And, uh, and in Greek, the word is hamaratia. Hamaratia. <laughs> so we've got hatat and hamaratia, and uh, and uh, the word means to, uh, to to fall short. It means to uh, to um, to miss uh, the mark, uh, or, or even to have evil, uh, perhaps uh, perhaps within us. That's what uh, these words, one in Hebrew for the Old Testament and one in Greek for the New Testament. That's what we're uh, talking about here. And the Bible gives. I think a pretty good picture of what sin is uh, when we look at Psalm 51, verse uh, 3 to 5. This is a psalm of, uh, of David here, and, uh, and we hear David, uh, David speaking, and this is what David says. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. This is David's acknowledgement of sin, and this is a, a biblical picture of, of what sin is. And some of these things don't quite tally up uh, with how uh, I described sin just uh, a moment ago. Uh, can, I, uh, can I just briefly go through three things that stood out to me when I read these, uh, these few verses? Is that okay? The first thing uh, is this. Uh, when David's speaking about sin, sin is obvious. Sin is obvious. David says, I know my transgressions. Now, the word transgressions, it's not the same word as sin. Did you know that? I'm telling you now. It's not the same word as sin. It's a different word. It's uh, pesha. 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 Come on, church. This morning, give me something back. Pesha. There you go. Thank you. Uh, and it means transgressions. It means crimes. It means, uh, it means actions, things that have been uh, done wrong. Uh, but David goes on to say, and my sin is ever before me. And this word is the word that we mentioned previously, hatat. So we've got two words, transgressions and sins, and they're different, but to David, they're obvious. They're obvious. Uh, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. And we're, we're looking at transgressions in a plural sense. It's got an S on the end. That means there's multiple. Uh, but we're looking at sin in a very singular sense. It says, my sin is ever before me. Not my sins, my sin is ever before me. So, so some things perhaps are starting to, to click into place here already. The second thing that I notice when reading this psalm is this. Sin is against God. Sin is against God. Now, here's the challenge. If sins are a list of naughty things that we do, uh, that when we do them, we displease God, how, uh, uh, how, is, it, how is it sinning against God? How, if I steal something, how is that sinning against God? I haven't stolen from God. I've stolen from somebody else. How is that sinning against God? Uh, at, at the very least, it should be sinning against perhaps both, the person that you've stolen from at least. That's the person you've wronged, surely. How are you not sinning against that person? But David says this, against you only have I sinned. Against you only have I sinned. How is this action against God? It doesn't make any sense with our previous understanding of what sin is, does it? Or it didn't to me anyway. 
But then we get a bit of a glimpse into what we're actually talking about. We get a bit of a glimpse into what we're actually talking about when David declares this, I have done what is evil in your sight. I have done what is evil in your sight. And here we get a different uh, understanding. We get a bit of a different perspective of what sin is, what this evil actually is. See, the sin is not necessarily about the action that was taken, but it was actually about what, uh, what was present that allowed that action to happen. So the sin is what was present to allow uh, the action to happen. The action, the transgression, if you like, is stealing. Yeah? If I steal something, that's the action that I've taken. But the sin is doing so when God has specifically told me not to. See, God declares in, uh, in the Eighth Commandment, he even wrote it in stone, thou shalt not steal. And so when I steal something, what I'm doing is deliberately disobeying God. I'm going against what God has said. God set the standard, don't steal. I've stolen. The action itself is not necessarily the sin, but what it takes to disobey God is the sin. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? And that is how it is only possible to sin against God because nobody else set the standard. God set the standard. He said, don't sin. uh, He said, don't steal, sorry. I've stolen. I've disobeyed God. And so I'm only sinning against God even though I'm stealing from somebody else. Does this make sense? Does this make sense, church? Okay, good. God set this standard, and we're not meeting the standard, and that is how our sin is against God. The, uh, the third thing that I, that I read, that I get from, uh, from this psalm is this. Uh, sin is a condition. It's not necessarily an action. Sin is a condition. And, uh, you know, if we're, basing, uh, if we're basing sin on actions that we take on this list of things that we do, uh, as, I've, uh, as we sort of started with at the beginning, how is it possible for a baby to be sinful? How is it possible uh, for, a, uh, for at, conce- at the moment of conception uh, for there to be a sinful clump of cells? How is that possible? Does anyone know? I don't think it is. Uh, if, uh, if we're talking about actions, because a baby can't do actions, can they? No? No. Unless you count, like, kicking and stuff in the womb. It's quite violent, maybe. Maybe that's what David means. Uh, well, how do I know? Good question, Dorothy. I don't. I don't. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so what we're talking about is more of a condition than a sin. Now, when we, when we think of uh, sin in terms of actions, it becomes an opinion game, doesn't it? It becomes a weighted game as well. It's all about who is better or who is worse. Oh, well, this sin is not quite as bad as, th- as all the rest, so that's not really, that's not a challenge. Uh, but this sin, well, this is super bad. Uh, so, you know, we'll put that at the top of the list, and you get loads of points knocked off if you do that one. Uh, and so we rate sin uh, based on action, uh, but, uh, but, but this, is, this is the challenge. Sin is much more complicated than transgressions. Sin is far more complicated than trans- transgressions. It's part of the human condition. It's missing the mark that God uh, sets out for us, not just by what we do or don't do, but by a, uh, a condition. And we see in the Garden of Eden, don't we? This is where this all started. We see in the Garden uh, of Eden a single act, a single act of disobedience towards God that ushered in the age that we're living in. Paul Paul calls uh, this age in Galatians uh, the present evil age. 
the present evil age. Uh, that's the age uh, that we're in. And uh, kick-started uh, by the disobedience towards God in the Garden of Eden. This is where uh, it all started. Uh, God said, don't eat from the tree. What did Adam do? Ate from the tree. God said, don't do this. Adam did this. And then uh, that was the, the, the first thing. This is the transgression uh, where, uh, where it all uh, sort of happened. And, uh, and the Bible tells us, does it not, that through the disobedience of one man, that's Adam, the many, that's us, were made sinners. That is the condition. That is the condition. The action of disobedience gave way to the captivity of sin. The captivity of sin. Through Adam, humanity failed and missed the mark. A bit depressing this morning, isn't it, in this place today? Yeah? Oh, not sure. <laughs> Paul talks a lot about sin. Paul talks a lot about sin in his writings in, uh, in the New Testament, mostly in the book of Romans. Uh, it's a great book, and, uh, and usually in a singular way. Usually, uh, God talks about uh, sin in a singular sense, a singular sense. Rather than sins, he talks about sin. Is that okay? Can I show you? I'll show you. In Romans six twelve, Paul writes this, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And so we're talking about sin in a singular sense sin in a singular sense. And Paul's saying, don't let it reign. Don't let it reign. Paul's not talking about action here because actions can't reign. He's talking about something else. He's talking about sin, almost in a sense of a power, a power that, has, uh, that, 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 that perhaps has a, uh, a captive, uh, that holds humanity captive. That is how uh, Paul is speaking about sin. And then Paul says, so that you may obey its evil desires. The evil desires of sin. Not our evil desires, interestingly. Did you read that? But sin's evil desires. So we're talking about sin in way of power, but this power gives way to action, which confusingly we also call sins. <laughs> do, you, do you see what I'm saying? Do you see what I'm saying? <clears throat> sin manifests uh, itself in action. You know, I think it's really important to have a fuller understanding of, uh, of the concept of sin and what sin, uh, what sin is. Because if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we can boil the gospel down, can't we, to behavior management. We can boil the gospel down to behavior, behavior management, conviction of people almost by trickery. Have you done this? Well, then you need Jesus. And, uh, and, and it's not that that's necessarily wrong, uh, but the gospel has so much more to offer. The gospel uh, is so much more uh, than, uh, than that. See, sin separates us from God, not just the actions, but the condition uh, of sin, the power of sin. And uh, the gospel is not only concerned with treating the symptom, the actions, but the gospel is concerned with treating the cause. The gospel is concerned with treating the cause, the power of sin which manifests in decisions, in actions, in ways of, of life. The gospel, uh, the gospel treats, yes, the symptom, but also the actual disease, the actual underlying disease. And so when we boil it down to just action, we're missing so much of what the gospel has to offer. So much. Uh, can, I, can I show you? Can I show you? Great. 
So uh, we read and we know that God being a holy, righteous, and just God, that's, uh, that's who he is. Uh, he can only accept, he can only be in communion and relationship with those that are holy, righteous, and uh, just themselves. And since the failure of humanity in the Old Testament, in the Garden of Eden, uh, as, uh, as we've just spoken about, since that time, God, uh, the Old Testament records how God uh, shows the depravity of humanity. It's getting worse, isn't it? It's getting worse. First you're talking about sin, now you're talking about depravity. Where have I come this morning? So I guess better. I'm excited. Uh, right, so, uh, so the Old Testament records uh, um, the, uh, how God shows us uh, our own depravity. Does that, I'll show you, I'll show you. Uh, and and, and it, it serves to show us just how unrighteous we are. But this is important and it's for a good reason, don't worry. It's not just getting down on us. I'll show you. So the uh, Noahic covenant in Genesis, the, uh, the one from uh, where, where Noah's involved in the flood, remember? Uh, well, you weren't there, but you know what I'm talking about. Uh, so this highlights the violence uh, and the human evil that is present in humanity. Uh, so that, that's what's highlighted in the, in, in the Noahic covenant. The second covenant, the Abrahamic covenant uh, in Genesis also, this highlights God's desire to set apart a holy people. This is what God wants. Uh, he wants a holy people uh, who, will, who will worship and honor him and live the ways uh, that, that, that he knows that are best because he's the author and creator. Hey. Uh, the, uh, the third covenant, the Mosaic covenant uh, in Exodus, this highlights what is needed uh, from a set-apart people, right? That's, this, is, this is where a lot of the, uh, a lot of the, a lot of the law comes in. Uh, we're going to talk about the law. Oh, can't wait to talk about the law. Uh, so uh, so the, the Mosaic covenant highlights what is needed uh, for this holy people and also importantly highlights how we're not able to meet that standard how we're not able to keep the law, how we're not able uh, to, to do uh, these things. And then finally, the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel highlights how God is going to provide a solution to secure the blessings that he is desperate to bestow on us. Is that exciting? Yeah. It is exciting, absolutely. Uh, Deuteronomy 6.25 says this, uh, and if we are careful to obey all this law, before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. The Old Testament uh, and the covenants and the laws and the offerings and the sacrifices and everything, they all point towards the huge gap that exists between the righteousness of God and the righteousness of humanity. That's what the Old Testament is there, uh, is there for, uh, how we're missing the bar and therefore pointing to a solution. Pointing to a solution. Because how can the unrighteousness become righteous? We can't, can we? How can the lawbreaker keep the law? We can't, we can't. How can the ones who brought sin into the world defeat it? We can't, we can't. But he can, he can. God made a way and it's all about the law. It's all about the law. I'd like to show you. This is where it gets exciting. It's not all doom and gloom, church, this morning in this place. Uh, 
<laughs> uh, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quick fire through some verses if that's okay. Uh, Romans 10.4 says this, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Acts 13.39 says this, through him everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Romans 3.22 says, The righteousness that is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all those who believe, there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. And in Galatians 3.24, Paul writes this, Therefore, the law, the Old Testament, the covenants, the sacrifices, the offerings, everything that went before, the law, was our tutor to bring us to Christ so that we might be justified by faith. The law points to Jesus. The law of the Old Testament, the covenants, the sacrifices, point to Jesus. It highlights what is needed uh, by a holy and righteous and just God. It highlights just how much we miss that mark by over thousands of generations, uh, uh, thousands of years, sorry, uh, generations. It wasn't just one or two bad eggs, but humanity as a whole is not capable of keeping this law. It's highlighted, and so Jesus Jesus. Uh, Jesus comes. He's sent. He's the only one capable of keeping the law. He's the only one that is truly righteous. He's the only one that is truly righteous. And his righteousness comes from obedience to the law. And our righteousness comes from our faith in him. Our righteousness is awarded by our faith in him. And it is by this faith that the power of sin is broken. And we talked about how sin is, is less about a list of actions and is about a, uh, a, um, a, a, a power that holds humanity captive. Romans 6.6, 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. This is what Jesus came for, church. This is why he came let me remind you, God prophesied in Jeremiah, these, uh, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. This is Jesus. Yahweh is our righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is Yahweh. It's as simple as that. That, that verse that I, that, I, that I read out earlier. I'd like to read the full verse. In Romans 5.19, For just as through the disobedience of one man, that's Adam, the many, that's us, were made sinners. That's the condition. So also through the obedience of one man, that's Jesus, the many, that's us, will be made righteous. That's our inheritance. That's what is bought and paid for on the cross and our faith in him our faith in the one, the only one who is able to keep the law perfectly on our behalf because we could never do it. We could never do it. I could never do it anyway. He kept it on our behalf and our faith in him awards his righteousness. But you know, I've got a final thing to address. 
little uh, discrepancy. Because I still sin. I still sin. Daily, in fact. Get angry. Do things that aren't right. On purpose and not all the time. Don't, you know. Calm down. But, uh, but, but I, still, I still sin. And so have I not received this righteousness? Have I not uh, received this righteousness? If the power of sin over my life is broken, then why do I still do things that are against God? Especially when I read this. Can I read a really scary verse for you? Are you ready for a scary verse? 1 John 3, 4-10. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins and in him there is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not any, let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor anyone uh, who does not love their brother or sister. What church do we make of this? What church do we make of this? We stand in the righteousness of God That's what we believe because that's what the Bible tells us. But our ongoing transgressions make us of the devil. Is that what we're reading? Is that what we're reading this morning? How do we reconcile the righteousness of Christ with the continued sinful nature? You know, Paul, we find ourselves in good company when wondering this. Because the Apostle Paul had the same internal battle. Paul writes in Romans 7, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it. But it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell within me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil that I don't want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me who uh, that does it. What we're experiencing is a battle. What we're experiencing is an internal, an, an, an internal battle. You see, the ultimate battle is already won. 
The battle into eternity is already won. The power of sin is broken. The power of sin is absolutely uh, broken and it no longer keeps us away from God. It no longer keeps us away from God because the righteousness of Christ is seen to that. And now when God looks at us, he doesn't see us in our sinful nature. He sees Christ in us. And he sees the righteousness of Christ in us. But we still live and witness the effects of a broken world, don't we? We still live uh, in a broken world. All we have to do is look out the window and see that. But we're still part of a broken flesh. Until there is full restoration in Jesus when we get to heaven or he comes back first, whichever one happens first. Until such a time as that, we're living in the now and the not yet where there is internal battle and a broken flesh. And a broken flesh. No. So what have we got then? Have we got a free ticket to sin? Maybe? Free ticket to sin, all sin is paid for. We're free into eternity. And so we can crash out and sin now. Is that right? Because it's all paid for. And we're of the flesh. So... Maybe. But, uh, but Romans 6.15 says this, and uh, this is my final scripture uh, for today. What then? Shall we sin because we're no longer under the law, but under grace? Same question that we're asking ourselves now, isn't it? By no means. There's our answer. Could just leave it there. <laughs> Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the ones you obey? whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, we used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that is now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. This is where we find ourselves. This is where we find ourselves. And so whilst we may be experiencing an internal battle where we face, uh, we face sin and we face uh, the, uh, the effects of sin um, on, a, on, a, on a daily basis, we're obligated to live in the freedom that has been purchased for us because we're no longer slaves to that. We're now slaves to righteousness and we're not able to live fully in that yet but we're obligated to go, um, uh, to, to obey those teachings, the teachings that we find in his word. That's what he calls us to. That's what uh, we're called uh, to do. There's a, there's, a popular, uh, there's a popular saying, isn't there? I don't know if you've heard it. It says, dress for the job you want, not for the job you've got. You heard that? Yeah? It's a good one, huh? It's kind of like this. It's kind of like this. We're living lives of righteousness to the best of our ability until, uh, until full restoration can occur. Is that good? Is that good? I think it's really important that we, uh, that we study the Word of God, that we, uh, that, that, that we gather together to, uh, to, to understand these things because there are some tricky concepts, aren't there? There's some tricky concepts. We've gone through some stuff this morning. We've gone through some stuff this morning because there are truths in this word that are perhaps sometimes a little bit uncomfortable. It's not the easiest book to read. 
you know? If you've got an easy book, then, I don't know, Enid Blyton, something like that. But this, this, this is the truth. This is, this, is, this, is, this is the Word of God. And sometimes it's difficult, it's difficult to read and the truths are difficult to, to, to take in, uh, but it's tough. We don't get to, to be the judge of, of, of which bits we want to pick and which bits we want to choose. Because it's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. And, uh, and I love gathering here every Sunday morning so that we can open it together, so that we can read it, so that we can understand it, so we can go through it so that we can learn more of who God is, what he's done for us, just how blessed we are. And so I've, in, I've enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed uh, being here this morning speaking about the righteousness of God, our righteousness, the righteousness that we, uh, that we can uh, inherit when we choose to accept Jesus into our lives. And every week we give an opportunity for, uh, for such a time, for the first time. And so we'll, uh, we'll do that now. If you're in this place this morning and perhaps it's your first time or maybe you've been several times or maybe you've been to other churches and you've never really been sure. But, uh, but perhaps you've heard from God this morning. Perhaps you've got a, a, a feeling in your, in your tummy, maybe butterflies, I don't know. Perhaps you've heard from God this morning and, uh, and you've heard of the righteousness that only comes through, through Jesus and through faith in him. And you're saying, yeah, that's me. I want that. I need that in my life. I need that in my life. That's all for now. We pray that you heard something that brought life to you today so that you may go and be the person that God called you to be. God bless you.